Good morning, and welcome to the Sunday stream at Flat Creek Baptist Church. We are so thankful that you've joined us today, whether you're watching online or you are joining us on Glory FM 97.5. We are grateful for you being here today, and we look forward to worshiping alongside of you this morning. God bless you, and enjoy the stream. Well, good morning. Merry Christmas. Are y'all excited we get to worship together on Christmas Eve? How special is that? When we, when we saw that it landed on Christmas, Christmas Eve was on a Sunday, we were like, we get to do it three times. We get to worship together so much that it's going to be special. Look, let's go ahead and stand and let's kick off our service with I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. God for the opportunity to come and to worship you just as brother Caleb uh, has just said to us you know I think about uh, God just Christmas tradition and growing up how precious it was on this day Christmas Eve to go over to Momo Williams house and to be there with cousins and to be there with aunts and uncles just to be with family and uh, Lord you know to go through the line and get something to eat and sit down and fellowship all afternoon uh, to be able to sing Christmas carols together there in the living room and uh, to, to open gifts, to go to a church service, to come back and shoot off fireworks in the evening. Lord, we look forward to it all year long. And as we gather today, I can't help but think about how, uh, God, our hearts are longing for the return of the Lord Jesus. Just like 2,000 years ago, they waited for so long. They were waiting for the Messiah. 
And we waited all year for that day just to be together, just to celebrate. And then, not just that, but to be with family. And God, as we are gathered in this room today, I, I'm thankful that not only do I have a physical family, but more so a spiritual family. And God, that's why we gather in this room today. We gather to be with our spiritual family, brothers and sisters in Christ. One thing I love about Flat Creek is that's what we are. We're family, and we, we just love being together, whether it be on Christmas Eve or whether it be on a Wednesday night. We just, we just enjoy each other's company, and it's just good, Lord, to be here. Caleb mentioned it in the first service. Where two or three are gathered in your name, there you'll be in the midst. Lord, we know that we're gathered in your name today, and we pray that you would just, just pour out your favor and your spirit among us. And may we walk out of here today transformed. We love you, Lord, and say these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We would like to welcome our online and radio listening audience. Don't give them a big hand today. We're always so thankful that when we gather here, we're not just gathering in this room, but we're gathering all over the world, people watching and tuning in for just a time of worship together. So we're always thankful for those who are gathered uh, in various places. But if you are here today and with us for the very first time, we are so thankful for you being here, visiting with us. In the back of your pews, you're gonna find a green connections card. If you could fill that out for us and on your way out the doors today, just over to your right, you're gonna see a blue connections tent. If you could turn that connections card in for us, that's our way to connect with you during the week so that we can come alongside of you uh, in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. We would like to remind you not to forget to be back here tonight at 5 p.m. for a special Christmas Eve candlelight service. So you're going to go home, you're going to eat you something, you're going to take a nap, and you're going to come right back. Uh, but it is going to be a great evening just celebrating the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So please be back at 5 p.m. tonight. Listen, at this time we want to greet everyone who's here. So if you'll please rise to your feet and shake the hands of those around you. Tell them how grateful you are to see them today in the house.
you glad that that's the testimony we have to look forward to one day he's coming on the clouds listen uh before we sit down and uh, pastor zach comes here in a minute i want to read something to you before we sing this next song just a short short paragraph written by a commentator as he was studying the book of john the lamb of god in greek is ho amnos taltheau and in latin is the well-known phrase agnus dei which is used in liturgies in several denominations. Michael W. Smith wrote this well-known Christian song. I love the words of the song and have used it for personal worship times, but I'm embarrassed to say that I never knew the meaning of Agnus Dei until I wrote these comments on John. The lyrics of Agnus Dei are scriptural, but still simple. Take a moment to worship the worthy Lamb of God in spirit and truth from John 4:23. Alleluia means praise the Lord. Note also that Lord God Almighty in Hebrew is Jehovah El Shaddai. Finally, especially notice that the words of the song are directed heavenward unto the Lamb, for He alone is worthy to receive our praises. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power, riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing let's sing this song together on you stay
sound of worship. Praise God this morning. You may be seated.
Glory to God. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Let's give the Lord a big So much praise team man after singing all those songs through two services in a row i don't know how much throat i have left but man i'm gonna tell you that was so good thank you so much at this time we're going to dismiss our children uh kindergarten through the fifth grade who have pre-registered for children's church uh you can be dismissed at this time miss breeze our children's director is going to meet you right here behind the piano y'all see this one right here little rj it's her birthday Y'all say, happy birthday, RJ. Happy birthday. <laughs> Sweet young lady. All right. If you'll open your Bibles today to the book of John, chapter 1, verse 29. The book of John, chapter 1, and verse 29. Those children running out the door, uh, we were reminded of the time that the, the children, they were in Sunday school class and and uh, the teacher, it was right around Christmas time, and the teacher wanted them to draw a picture of a nativity scene. And so all the kids did their very best. And when she came to this one little girl, the teacher just noticed just how this girl had made the picture. It was just beautiful. And she said, well, show me, tell me everybody in the picture. And she said, well, this is Mary, and this is Joseph, and this is the baby Jesus, and and these are the shepherds, and these are the wise men, and these are the angels. And the teacher noticed that there was a, another man that was kind of behind the manger scene. He was, uh, let's just say, a little bit on the larger side. He was kind of plump. He was uh, kind of round. And, and, and the teacher said, now, is that Santa Claus? And she said, no, that's round John Virgin. <laughs> <laughs> You got to know your Christmas music to know, understand that one. But I will say this. I, I've got like four go-to Christmas jokes, and that's one of them. I love that. It's such a good joke. Anyway, John 129 is where we're going to be today. I want to bring a message to you today entitled, Only Jesus, the Lamb of God. It was on the heels of Thanksgiving that we took a break from our walkthrough in the book of Romans in order to walk through this sermon series entitled Only Jesus. And the entire aim of this series has, has been to look at specific prophecies and symbols and types across the Old Testament which point to the Messiah. And, and then by using various eyewitness accounts and doctrines from the New Testament to show how only Jesus and no one else in all of human history can fit the mold of being the Messiah. And today, I want us to come to what I consider to be the peak of all Old Testament types and symbols. And that would be Jesus as the sacrificial Lamb of God. Listen with me to John chapter 1 and verse 29. It says there, the next day, he saw Jesus coming to him. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Father, we love you and are so thankful for just the opportunity to come and gather together. Lord, we are reminded today of this, uh, this great liberty we have to gather freely in this place and, and to worship Jesus. And we don't take it for granted. 
I'm thankful, Lord, for the many people that came at the 9 o'clock. I'm thankful for the many people that have gathered here at 11 o'clock, setting aside a time in the midst of this Christmas season to say we're going to give glory to who glory is due. We're going to give glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's so easy in this season to get caught up in all the stuff and to forget the reason we celebrate. But we want to keep the main thing the main thing. We want to remember Jesus. So, God, I pray as this message is given that if there would be any heart in the room today that does not know you as Savior, that today would be the day of transformation. In all things, Lord, we promise to give you the glory, and we say these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Friends, the text before you this morning is, is one of those texts in your Bible. It, it might be a short verse found in the beginning of the book of John, but I want you to understand that chapter 1, verse 29 of the book of John, it carries a ton of weight. The story is told of Charles Spurgeon, who was the great pastor in the 1800s, who one afternoon was asked to come and preach at, a, at, a, at another city from where he was pastoring. And so Charles Spurgeon made his way down to this city, and as he would do in those days, because of course church buildings in those days didn't have microphones and speakers and the such, Charles Spurgeon would always go early into whatever building he was going to be preaching in in order to test the acoustics. So Charles Spurgeon on this one day walks into this elaborate cathedral. He's all alone. He steps up on the stage and, and his big thunderous voice, he just says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was satisfied with the way the building sounded, with the acoustics. And so with that, Charles Spurgeon simply left the building. Unbeknownst to him, there were two men in the building that were up on scaffolding toward the roof, and they were doing some repair work and painting. And one of those individuals, upon hearing the voice of Charles Spurgeon just say these few words, became so convicted in his heart that right then and there, he gave his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, these words may be short, but they're powerful. They're spoken by the prophetic forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ, a man by the name of John the Baptist. You might remember that Malachi prophesied and said, before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes, I'm going to send Elijah to you. And John the Baptist is now on the scene in John chapter number 1. He's physically like Elijah in the clothes that he wears and the food that he eats and the place that he lives. But spiritually, he's like Elijah in the boldness of the message that he preached. You might remember that John the Baptist, his message was sharp. It cut like a double-edged sword as he called the religious elite a brood of vipers. And he told all people to repent and be baptized. You might also remember that it was the Lord Jesus who would later identify John the Baptist as the Elijah who was to come. And it was the Lord Jesus Christ who said that John the Baptist was the greatest man to ever be born of a woman. Yet, John the Baptist perplexed those who heard him speak. They weren't quite sure who he was. They weren't sure, quite sure how to take him, how to view him. We see this testimony in John chapter 1. Verse 19, it says, this is the testimony of John the Baptist. When the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And he confessed and did not deny and said, I'm not the Christ. 
And they said, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I'm not. And they said, are you the prophet? And he answered, no. And they said to him, who are you? So we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, just as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they have been sent from the Pharisees. And they asked him and said, why then are you baptizing? If you're not the Christ or Elijah nor the prophet. And John answered and said, I baptize in water. But one stands among you whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me. The thong of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. And these things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. Now, of course, all these things that John was testifying, they came as eyewitness accounts of what the Spirit had actually revealed to him. You might remember his further testimony in John 1, beginning in verse 30, where he says, This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifest in Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified and said, I have seen the Spirit descending out as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And John says, I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Friends, as for John the Baptist, he needed no more convincing. John the Baptist could say like the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter number 1 and verse number 12, I know who I've believed in. And I am convinced that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. Friends, it was John the Baptist, the man whose birth was much like unto Jesus in that it was supernatural. You might remember how the angel Gabriel came to his mom and dad and said, the prophetic forerunner is going to be born through you. It was this John the Baptist who preached the words of John 129. It's John the Baptist who left in his mother's womb the moment that Mary walked in the door. It's John the Baptist who speaks the words of John 129. It's John the Baptist who was ultimately martyred for the cause of Christ and taking a stand on righteousness. It's John the Baptist who uttered these words in John 1.29. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What a message it was. It wasn't a message of great length. It wasn't a message where John the Baptist opened up a scroll and exposited the text. It wasn't even a message spoken from a pulpit. But I believe these words spoken by John the Baptist in John 1.29 are the single or is the single greatest sermon ever preached. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What a message. How it resonated with the audience then and how it reverberates with us now. With the same veracity with which it was delivered 2,000 years ago. So the Holy Spirit is still using these words today to draw people to himself. Now this message of John breaks down in four natural points that I want us to walk through together today. Number one, I want you to see that John the Baptist tells his audience to look. He tells them 
to look. That word, behold, in the Greek is the word ide. It means to look or to gaze upon. In fact, one commentator said that when this word was spoken, it was spoken in a, in a tone of surprise or astonishment. So understand the picture here. It's not that Jesus comes walking by and John the Baptist says, well, looky there. It's, it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. No, friends, this was spoken with, with great oomph, with great power, with great passion, with great amazement, with great astonishment. Behold, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I, I can't help but think of how these words of John the Baptist must have reverberated and echoed off of the, the hillside there in the Judean wilderness as if the very rocks were crying out, Behold him. This surprise, this amazement, this astonishment in his voice must have sounded like a man who was trying to desperately get the attention of his audience. He didn't want them to take another step without them stopping to see the one who was in their midst. John the Baptist did not want them to miss him. He was telling them to look. He was telling them to open their eyes and see the one who was standing before them. Friends, what a great message for us during this Christmas season. Behold him. The other day I, I made that classic mistake of all people who have moved to the state of Georgia, especially the Gainesville area. I was told four years ago, never, never under any circumstance go to the Mall of Georgia at Christmas time. <laughs> I learned my lesson this week. Now, before you say anything, understand that I do know the back roads, but the story I'm about to tell you, I was going to academy, so I had to go this way. I had no other way. But, but as I'm driving from the mall to academy, I mean, there's people everywhere, isn't there? I mean, people just going to and fro all over the place. And I, I pull up to this one intersection just right past where Sam's Club is at. And there's a red light there. And there's an Asian woman standing on the street corner. And she's got a poster board in her hand. And here's what it said. Jesus is Lord. Amen. Of all the people that are going out toward the mall this week, can I just tell you this? She's the one who gets it. Because in the midst of the craziness of the season, this lady was beholding him. And that message that I saw on her poster board, it gripped my heart. She's like John the Baptist. She's not some crazed lunatic out on a street corner. No. She's trying to get everyone's attention. She is saying, look. See him behold him friends understand this morning that he is so much more than a little clay figurine that is in the middle of your manger scene he's so much greater than an inflatable that you have in your front yard he's so much greater than a life-size 
plastic figurine that are on churchyards across our country today. He's so much more than a painting on the front of your postcard. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. And John the Baptist says, behold him. Behold the mystery of his incarnation. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 through 11, have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And for this reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. The second person of the Godhead took off his royal robes and came down. He walked our dusty roads. He ate our food. He drank our drink. He felt what we feel. He was tempted as we are tempted, tried as we are tried, loved as we loved, was hated as we can be hated. What kind of God is this? What kind of Savior is this that he would humble himself to our low estate? Behold him. Behold his spotless life. Although he was like us in every way, he was born without a sin nature. He was tempted across the course of his life. But as the writer of Hebrew says, although he felt our weakness and felt our pain, he was without sin. He was blameless and perfect and righteous and no sin was found in him. He was holy. Behold the amazing things that he taught. And how he lifted our minds to higher planes than they've ever been lifted before. As he taught us things like the prodigal son and the good Samaritan and the parable of the sower. The parable of the rich fool, just to name a few. Behold his miraculous works. See him walking atop the waves. See him in a boat in the middle of a storm tall sea with just the word of his mouth saying, peace be still, and the storm stopping its raging. Behold him there with two fish and five loaves and 5,000 people feeding them all. Behold him as he touches the leper. Behold him as he cleanses the man with a paralyzed hand. Behold him as he forgives the sin of the paralytic brought to him on a mat. Behold him as legions of demons flee at the sound of his voice. Behold him there at the pool when he tells a man to pick up his mat and walk. Behold him there in Nain as he tells the widow's boy to get up from the grave. Behold him as he cleanses the sick. Behold him as he opens the ears of the deaf. Behold him as he looses the tongue of the mute. Behold him as he opens the eyes of the blind. Amen. Behold him in his humiliation. 
as the blessed Son of God who in love came down and was paraded before a kangaroo court, given the mockery of a trial. Behold him as he's whipped within an inch of his life. Behold him as they press that crown of thorns upon his brow. Behold him as he becomes our sinless substitute. Behold him as they put a purple robe on his back and they mock him and they spit at him and they slap him in the face. Behold him as he's stretched out there on the cross becoming a curse for us. Behold him as from the cross he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Behold him as he's there and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Behold him as he cries out, It is finished and gives up his spirit. Behold him as they take down his lifeless dead body and place him in a rich man's tomb. Behold him as he lays there in a cold tomb for three days. Behold him in his resurrection as the stone is rolled away. Behold him as he bursts forth from the grave. Death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Now the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Behold him. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Don't let this moment, don't let this hour, don't let this season, don't let this life pass you by. Behold him, see him, acknowledge him, gaze upon him, admire him, adore him, worship him, fall on your face and confess him, profess him, live for him, die for him. He's worth it all. Behold the lamb. Don't just look at him, but secondly, look unto him. Look upon the lamb. See, to feel the full gravity of this statement, you have to understand the, the time of the year in which, Jesus, in which John the Baptist spoke these words. Chapter 2, verse 13, the Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. The Passover was near. So we have this, this, this time of the year in which this is happening. It's around the month of April. So everything is coming to life out of the dead of winter is a natural time in order to celebrate the new year, which is exactly what Passover is for the Jews. It's the celebration of their new year. But more specifically, it's the commemoration of the Passover and the exodus out of the bondage of Egypt. And so with Passover near, John the Baptist begins to talk about the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. And every person who hears him say these words, they understand immediately the connection that he's making. So jump back with me, if you will, to Exodus chapter number 12. Exodus chapter 12, and we're going to begin reading in verse 1. Exodus 12 and verse 1. The Bible says, Now the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying on the 10th of this month, they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's households, a lamb for each household. Now, if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them, according to what each man should eat. 
you are to divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the house in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that same night, roasted with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled at, at, at all with water, but rather roasted with fire, both its head and its legs along with its entrails. And you shall not leave any of it over until morning, but whatever is left of it until morning you shall burn with fire. Now you shall eat it in this manner, with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Verse 21, then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, go and take for yourselves a lamb according to your families and slay the Passover lamb. You shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood which is in the basin and apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lintel and the two doorposts, and none of you shall go outside the door of his house until the morning. Now, we're going to get into the types here in just a moment, but before we do, let me ask you this question. Do you know what it would have taken for the Jews that evening to put the blood of a lamb on their doorpost and their lintel? Do you know what it would have taken? It would have taken faith. Let me remind everybody in the room that salvation has always been by faith. It would have taken faith, faith in the word of God, faith in what Moses said, that if we slay, if we sacrifice the Passover lamb and put his blood upon our house, then when God comes to judge the land of Egypt, he will pass over us. And we know the story. This is what the Jews do. They sacrifice lambs. They put the blood on their houses and when the death angel comes through, he passes over the land of Israel into the land of Egypt, and from the poorest to the rich, even into the house of Pharaoh, the firstborn dies. But for all those who had the blood applied to their home, that death angel passed over. And God says the Passover has become a commemoration, it's become a festival of this night, because it was on this night that the Egyptians released you from bondage. Now, jump with me one more place, and that is Exodus 29, verse 38. Exodus 29, verse 38. And listen to what the Bible says here. Now, this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two one-year-old lambs every day continuously. The one lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and there shall be one-tenth of an ephah, a fine flour mixed with one-fourth of a hen of beaten oil and one-fourth of a hen of wine for a drink offering with one lamb. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight and shall offer with the same grain offering, the same drink offering as in the morning for a soothing aroma, an offering by fire to the Lord. It shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the doorway of the tent of meeting before the Lord where I will meet with you to speak with you there. 
So, so as you take that verse, you take the Passover lamb in Exodus chapter 12 together, you begin to get this picture of the lamb of sacrifice. That this lamb was offered every single day, twice a day, but on the Passover, it was to be a special Sabbath to the Lord. So understand, right here at Passover time, when Jesus comes walking by and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, that original audience, they got the illustration and they got the illusion really quick. John the Baptist was saying, put your faith in God's Lamb. Just as it took faith to apply the blood to their door, so it takes faith to apply the blood of Christ to our lives. Just as they were to put that blood on the doorposts and the lentils, don't miss the picture, two doorposts, one lentil. The Lord Jesus Christ stretched out, nail-pierced hands with a corn of thrown, a corn of crown of thorns upon his brow. There we go. That's how we try to say it. A crown of thorns upon his brow. See that picture? As the Lord Jesus Christ, his blood is spilled for you and me. Number two, just as they were passed over the night of judgment and they escaped the wrath of God, so we too will be passed over on the day of God's judgment if the blood of Jesus is applied to our life. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Number three, just as they were released from physical bondage, so too we can be released from spiritual bondage. What did Paul say in Romans 6? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. And furthermore, when you take Exodus 29 into account, account, the two lambs offered each day as a continual burnt offering to the Lord. Understand that that first lamb was sacrificed at 9 a.m. in the morning, the precise hour in which Jesus was nailed to the cross. That second lamb was sacrificed at precisely 3 in the afternoon, the exact moment when Jesus died for the sins of the world. And what do we know about Jesus as the lamb? Well, those two lambs in Exodus 29, they are a constant reminder of our continuous need for atonement, forgiveness, redemption in our sin. There had to be a continual offering given up so they can meet with God at the tent of meeting. So Jesus, resurrecting from the grave, entering into the tabernacle in heaven with his own precious blood, now lives forevermore and makes continuous intercession for the saints. Friends, he continually lives eternally in that he defeated death. So his sacrifice and his blood are ever before the Lord, and our sins are atoned for because of our Lamb of God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, Jesus Christ, our Passover Lamb. You know, there are many today that do not preach the blood anymore. But friends, I'm here today to tell you that the blood, the precious blood of Jesus, shall never, ever lose its power. Look upon the Lamb. Number three, look upon the Lamb for your liberation. Look upon the Lamb for your liberation. What does he say? Behold 
the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. Notice how that's structured grammatically. John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God, not behold, a Lamb of God, and not behold, one of the many Lambs of God, but behold, the Lamb of God. Friends, that is key. You must remember this morning that God is not the author of confusion. There's some today that'll say, well, you know, that works for you, but that doesn't work for me. What works for me works for me. What works for you works for you. And in the end, all roads lead to the same destination. Let me state emphatically, no, they do not. Amen. God the Father has one lamb, the lamb, the only begotten Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. This statement of John the Baptist before you is a statement of uniqueness. Which if we remember our theme in this series, only Jesus. It's exactly what John is saying. Only Jesus can be the Lamb of God. Priests, they bring lambs twice a day, every day for the sacrifice of sin. But when God offered a sacrifice, he offered one lamb, his lamb, his only lamb, his own son, a perpetual atonement for our sins, none other, the Lamb of God. Now, let me try to paint a picture biblically for you here. If you go all the way back to G Genesis 3, 21, you remember the day that Adam and Eve fell. Now, this is the first time in your Bibles that we see what, what we know theologically as penal substitutionary atonement. Penal means penalty, Substitutionary means one in my place, and atonement is a reparation of a wrong or an injury. You remember that just after they sinned, that God provided a substitute. What does the Bible say in Genesis 3.21? The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. There was a substitute. The wages of sin is death. Something had to die that day. So the Lord God comes through the garden and he offers up or sacrifices an animal on their behalf. I remember teaching seminary many years ago and a student in my class, he said, do you think it was a lamb? And I said, I think it had to be. God offers the first substitute. He offers the first sacrifice to cover our sins. And we know that through the family of Adam, this was what they understood. We know that because Abel offers up one of his flock and God accepts that sacrifice. He does not accept Cain's. Cain offers up a grain offering. Why does God accept Abel's but not Cain's? It's because Abel brought a blood sacrifice. Something had to die for his sin. Genesis 22, you remember that story of Abraham and Isaac. God tells Abraham to sacrifice his only son. And you remember that picture of Abraham and Isaac walking up Mount Moriah there. And as they walk up the mountain, Isaac looks at his dad and he says, Daddy, we have the fire, we have the knife, we have the wood, but where is the lamb? What was Abraham's response? God will provide himself a lamb for sacrifice. That one question, where is the lamb? 
Friends, it comes to represent the entire Old Testament. Where is the lamb? Were there lambs being offered every day? Absolutely. Were there other offerings being offered, goats and bulls? Absolutely. But in them is only a constant reminder of our sin. Remember what the writer of Hebrews says. In Hebrews chapter number 10 and verse 1 through 4. For the law says it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of these things can never by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year after year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise they would not have ceased to be offered. Because of the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have had a consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins year by year. Listen, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. All those sacrifices are being offered constantly. There was a conscious awareness that their sins were never actually atoned for. Their guilt always remained. There was always a constant reminder of the inefficiency of these things to provide any actual atonement, redemption, or forgiveness. The entire Old Testament can be summed up by that question, where is the Lamb? They're looking for the Messiah. They're looking for forgiveness. They're looking for the one who's going to come and die in their place. John the Baptist, John 1, 29, behold the Lamb. Where is the Lamb? Look, He's standing in your midst. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And understand this morning that that phrase, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, becomes the summary of the entire New Testament. As every writer of the New Testament is pointing us to Christ, telling us to behold him. Matthew and Mark, he's the son of man who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In the book of Luke, you might remember on the night that he's born, they wrap him up in swaddling cloths and lime in a manger, just like those shepherds would have done on the hillsides when the the lamb, which was to be the sacrificial lamb, was born. They would wrap them up in cloths in order to keep them unblemished and unbroken. So they did the same to God's perfect lamb. Luke would go on to say, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which lost. John reminds us that his legs weren't broken on the cross, just as a lamb which was offered had to be without defect or blemish. On top of that, John testifies about the sinless life of Christ. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 36, Peter would stand and say, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, Peter would go on to say, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given to man under heaven, and we must be saved by it. The apostle Paul would write in Romans and chapter number 3, verse 21, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift 
by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 18, you might remember that Paul wrote there, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it's the power of God unto salvation for those of us who believe. In 2 Corinthians 4, 18, but we all with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. In Galatians 4.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on the tree. In Ephesians 1.7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. In Philippians 2.8, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. In Colossians 1.19 and 20, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of the cross. In 1st and 2nd Timothy, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. In Titus 2, 13 through 15, Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. In Philippians, we see that example of justification. If anything is wronged you in any way, charge it to my account. In Hebrews chapter number 9, beginning in verse 11, but when Christ appeared as the high priest of good things to come, he entered through the great and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. In James 1.18, it says, In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, the gospel. In First and Second Peter, knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold from your futile way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the lamb of Christ. In 1 John 2, 2, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not ours only, but the sins of the whole world. In Jude 24 and 25, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you able to stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Friends, from John the Baptist all the way to Jude, one thing, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's the message we proclaim. Amen. But I want you to know in heaven, our song will not be, where is the Lamb? Nor will our song be, behold the Lamb. But our song will be, worthy is the Lamb. Revelation 4 verse 11, worthy are you, Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power? For you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. Revelation 5, 12, they sang with a loud voice, Worthy 
is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing and every created thing which is in heaven on the earth and under the earth and under the sea and all things in them I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever worthy is the lamb that's our song that's our anthem that's what we will sing and that's what we will shout for all eternity worthy 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 is the lamb look upon the lamb for your liberation your freedom behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world your last point today before we close this message comes from the depths of the love of God everything that Jesus did was for one purpose to redeem Adam's race have you ever heard that old statement if you were the only one who ever sinned Jesus would have died for you God tell you friends that's absolutely true that's how much he loved you he loves you so much he would send his only begotten son to take your sin to suffer for your sin so that your sins might be forgiven and you might be reconciled to him you notice what it says behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world not the sins of the world but the sin of the world all one act all sins forgiven that idea of taking away sin it brings our minds back to that Old Testament book of Leviticus in the Day of Atonement and you remember on the Day of Atonement they would take two goats and they would slaughter one as a sacrifice for sin but the other the priest would take his hands and put it on the head of that scapegoat and he would literally lay all the sins of the people on his head and then they would lead that goat out into the wilderness and they would leave it there and then that guy would come back into the camp there's only one problem what happens if the goat comes back you see forever every year when they would do that there was always a constant reminder that our sins out there in the wilderness somewhere and that goat can find his way back in the camp and if he does our sins have returned there was never a satisfaction of their sin actually being carried away but I want you to listen to the writer of Hebrews in closing his book in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 12 the writer of Hebrews says therefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people through his own blood suffered where outside the gate he who knew no sin became sin for us as God places all the sins of the world upon his precious brow and he's led outside of the gate and there he suffers and he dies for all people everywhere he's not walking back into the walls of Jerusalem that day he's hanging on a cross he's crucified he's dead and so what does 
the Bible say here? So let us go to him outside of the camp bearing his reproach. What does the writer of Hebrews say? Let us go to the Lamb of God who suffered for our sins. Let us bear our or his reproach. Let us be crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me and through me. And this life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Let us go to him. How do I know that I can actually be forgiven? He resurrected from the dead, proving that his sinless life, because death could not hold him anymore. So the question becomes for you, dear friend, have you gone to him? Have you given your life to him? He is God's perfect lamb. Just as Abraham said, God will provide himself a lamb, and so he has. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. Heads bowed and eyes closed as we come to this final song of the day, a hymn of invitation. Just wondering if there's anybody in the room today that would say, Pastor, I've never given my life to Christ, but today I need to be saved. I've heard all this about the Lamb of God. I came in today. I'm carrying sin. I'm carrying shame. I'm carrying embarrassment. I'm carrying all this stuff. And I'm ready to come out from under the weight of it all. Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross of Calvary to me and today I want to go to him and I want to bear his shame and I want to bear his reproach and I want to be set free through the sacrificial death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Today is my day of salvation. If today you want to give your life to Christ, would you just pray a simple prayer? And understand it's not a, a prayer that I can pray for you. It's not a magical prayer. It's, it's something that, that has to come from your heart. It's a prayer of salvation. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And so right now, as Caleb is on the guitar, everybody's quiet, heads bowed, eyes closed. If you're in the room and you need to be saved, I'm going to give you just a few moments of silence here to pray and to ask the Lord Jesus to save you. I was with a young 18-year-old man the other day, and he asked me, he said, what do I pray? And I said, just pray that. Repent and be saved. Just ask him to save you. Just in a few moments, the quietness of the room, you pray right now and ask the Lord Jesus to save you. bowed and eyes closed just wondering anybody today would raise their hand and say pastor Zach I've given my life to Christ today I need to be saved anybody at all would raise their hand right now and say pastor Zach I'm giving my life to the Lord Jesus Christ today anybody we trust that hearts and minds are clear today 
And we trust that God's name has been glorified and God's name has been honored. And for the saints of God that are in the house today, may this cause us just to worship him. As we think about this Christmas season, behold him, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Tonight we're going to come back to this place and we're going to come to this supper table and we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. The broken body, the blood that was shed. We're going to take that together as communion, a body of believers together. We want to invite you to come back at that time. Father, we want to praise you today and tell you that we love you. Give you all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. I'm going to ask you, God, just to move in our hearts and move in our midst. Change lives and tune us into your heart in this Christmas season. We go from here to our family gatherings this afternoon as we come back. Tomorrow, just pray, God, that the gospel will be on our lips knowing that only Jesus, only Jesus is the perfect Lamb of God who was sacrificed for our sins. Father, we praise you. We love you. We give you all the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Listen, let's give the Lord a big hand today. We are so thankful for your presence here this morning. Listen, if you need to be saved today, if you need to give your life to Christ, I'm going to be at the double doors on your way out the building. Just stop by, tell me, say, Pastor, I need to give my life to Christ, or I need to talk about that further. I'd love to come alongside of you. If you're visiting with us today for the first time on your way out the double doors, as I said, you'll see that blue connections tent. Please swing by there and let us know uh, you being here today so that we can come alongside of you. As I said, please come back at 5 p.m. tonight. You see the Lord's Supper table is ready and prepared as we'll come back tonight to celebrate communion. It's always a great time uh, on Christmas Eve evening, so we'll have a great time tonight, and you'll love that. Uh, also, if you would like to give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, um, which is an offering that goes to support international missionaries all over the world, uh, every dollar you give goes directly to a missionary. This is a Southern Baptist offering. We are a Southern Baptist church. We do this every Christmas. Uh, we would really ask for you to give to that. Our goal this year is $60,000. We have a wreath over here. I'm not sure the exact amount, but um, every time we get, I think, $5,000, we light up another strand of lights. And we're over halfway there to getting that goal of $60,000. I told the early service this, and I want to tell you all this as well. The month of November, uh, the month of November that just passed, you guys gave the highest offering total in the 205-year history of Flat Creek Baptist Church, okay, by over $30,000. Y'all gave last month $115,000 to our general offering. Now, why am I telling you that? I'm telling you that to tell you that in one month, y'all gave enough in order for us to operate for two months, meaning that every dollar you have to give extra this month, just give it to the missionaries. Flat Creek Baptist Church is taken care of. You make sure of that every week. But we want to take care of missionaries. We want to see the gospel go forward. So on your way out the door, if you haven't done yet, pick up one of those Lottie Moon Christmas offerings. You can return that back tonight. You can return that next week if you want to. It doesn't have to be turned in today. Take it with you. Pray over it. Give so that we can support missionaries and the gospel can be advanced to unreached people groups all over the world. Listen, I love you. I can't wait to see you back. Merry Christmas. Thank you to all our volunteers on the stage, all of them over there watching our kids today, taking time 
on Christmas Eve. And uh, we're going to ask Brother Caleb, our uh, music minister, to close us out. And uh, guys, we'll see you back here at 5 p.m. Brother Caleb. Lord, thank you so much for the day. We thank you for the, the morning, a special time of worship this morning on Christmas Eve uh, when we celebrate your coming. Lord, thank you for the sermon that Pastor Zach brought to us. I pray that we would take it and apply it to our lives as we go to do the work of the gospel, Lord. Uh, thank you again for this day and what we celebrate, and thank you for giving us the only reason to celebrate. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for all you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Sunday stream here at Flat Creek Baptist Church in Gainesville, Georgia. I am Pastor Zach Williams and it is a great honor to have you join us through our online platform. It is our belief here at Flat Creek Baptist that you should be connected to a local congregation. And so if you are in the Gainesville, Georgia area, we want to encourage you to come out and be a part of what God is doing in our midst. There's nothing like being connected to a local body of believers. However, if you are tuning in today and you are not from the Gainesville, Georgia area and you're tuning in from some other place on earth, what we're gonna encourage you to do is get attached to a local body of believers under good, sound, biblical, doctrinal preaching so that you can be encouraged in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ and allow Flat Creek Baptist and our Sunday stream to just be a supplement to what God is doing in your life. Friends, I thank you so much once again for joining us. God bless you. And for more information, you can visit our website, flatcreekchurch.net.
Just when people needed hope, God would send a baby, a king, to offer a foretaste of a better future. But why? Why was a virgin chosen to be the mother of Jesus? Why would an earthly man be chosen to raise a baby sent from heaven? Why choose the lowliest of men to be the first to see the newborn king? Why did kings come from the east to worship the king of the Jews? Why Bethlehem? And perhaps the most important question, why should we care? And what should the baby in Bethlehem mean to me? I'm David Jeremiah. Won't you journey back with me to a faraway place and to a time that might otherwise be forgotten? Christmas, travel back in time as we answer the mystery, the meaning, and the question, why the nativity? is about to change forever. A day of reckoning. A decree from on high. A time to be counted. A world 
ruled by an iron fist. Just when people needed hope, God would send a baby, a king, to offer a foretaste of a better future. But why? Why was a virgin chosen to be the mother of Jesus? Why would an earthly man be chosen to raise a baby sent from heaven? Why choose the lowliest of men to be the first to see the newborn king? Why did kings come from the east to worship the king of the Jews? Why Bethlehem? And perhaps the most important question, why should we care? And what should the baby in Bethlehem mean to me? Though many years have gone by, and that stable in Bethlehem is long gone, we need to concentrate our gaze through the midst of time, through the lens of scripture, and use our imagination, not to change the Christmas story, but envision the people, places, and circumstances that could have been a part of the nativity. And in doing so, we will answer the mystery, the meaning, and the question, why the nativity? Why the nativity? Is it just another historic event? Just another superstition? or a leftover fairy tale from childhood? What if this special moment in history was the beginning of our redemption? To answer these questions, 97.5 Glory FM, your family God, radio station in North Georgia. 